This morning, what we're going to talk about is one of the reasons it is well with our soul. The, my goal is just to kind of lay a foundation and go, go easy a little bit this morning, just to get your thoughts going in the direction I want to take you in the next few weeks. Let me begin with some personal remarks. I know that God has assigned angels to minister to me. Many times they have saved my life. I just want you to embrace that. I know it for a fact. Many times they have strengthened me when I was too weak to deliver the message, when I was too down to deliver encouragement, when I was too weak to resist temptation. Many times they have ministered to me to stand against evil when I felt like I don't have any strength to stand against evil. You have very likely met an angel. Although you never knew you were meeting an angel. Just let it wash over you for a minute. The scripture is really clear on this. Many of you have met angels completely unaware of who you were really talking to. So as maybe a thought-provoking assessment question to start this morning, let me just ask you in your own heart to wrestle with this question. Do you believe in life forms beyond the earth? Now I've worded it this way because the entire planet believes in life forms. Hollywood believes in life forms. Uh, uh, We'll talk about what those life forms may be, but my question for you is, do you believe that there's just us in the universe, or do you believe that there are other life forms that are beyond earth? Now, you know what the real term for that is? Extraterrestrial. They're not bound to earth. So if you ask me if I believe in E.T., not the little gray dude, but do I believe in the concept? Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. And I can validate it for you. I believe exactly what the Bible teaches, that there are beings occupying the universe. Not a few. Literally billions of creatures occupying this universe They fill the atmosphere around us, and I believe according to the scripture that since the creation of man, those beings that are not humans, whatever we're talking about, these non-human beings that are billions of them occupying the space around us, that since the days of creation, these beings have mingled and interacted in the affairs of humanity. Let me give you a few historical accounts. John Patton is a very credible Scottish missionary, quite famous. John Patton uh, and his wife went to the island of Vanuatu in the 1800s. And uh, later they had a biographer chronicle their stories and put it into a book for the world to read. And the stories that came out of Vanuatu in the uh, ministry of John Patton were absolutely fascinating. For example, one night, 
a tribe of cannibals on Vanuatu decided they were going to kill the missionary and his wife. In the jungle, the drums of war and death began to sound. The natives painted themselves and began to dance the dance of death around the fires. And in a few moments, they're going to come out. Uh, Patton and his wife had a little hut built on the beach. That was the only home they had at the time on Vanuatu. And the natives said, we're going to go out tonight and we're going to, we're going to massacre this man and his wife. We're going to cook him and eat him. They were, they were cannibals. They were, they were savages. And as you can imagine, when the drums started up and you're, you and your wife are there living in a grass hut on the beach defenseless, and you know this is it. This is, this is it. We're going to heaven tonight. The drums started and they could see figures in the jungle In their biography, it says they got on their knees realizing their helpless condition, no way to protect themselves against the savages, and they begin to earnestly pray. And in a little bit, the drums stopped. They thought, here's where the attack is about to happen, but just deathly silence, nothing. Not a twig snap, not a footfall, not a crab scurrying on the beach, nothing, just dead silence they looked out of their hut and there's just absolutely no one they had all vanished into the jungle a year later the tribal chief came to believe on Jesus Christ a year later and after the tribal chief was converted John Patton asked the tribal chief I want you to go back to the night The night that you decided you and the tribe would come and kill my wife and I, and the war drum started, and you guys were dancing, and and we were going to be victims that night. I I want to talk to you about the events of that night when you were going to surround our little hut on the beach. The chief said, here's what happened. We came out of the jungle, and when we came to the beach and we saw that all those men that you had with you, Immediately we ran for the jungle and left knowing we were outnumbered. The missionary, John Patton, said to the tribal chief, Sir, we had no men with us. You know that. It's just my wife and I here to be missionaries to you people on the island. There were no men, just my wife and myself. The chief protested and he said, No, it's not just me. Ask any of the men. There were hundreds, hundreds of large men strong men, terrifying men with shining clothes, standing around your cabin, your hut, on the beach with swords in their hands, ready to fight us. When we saw the army, we immediately turned and ran into the jungle and said, leave this guy alone. Now, how do you explain that? Did God dispatch a legion of angels to protect his servants on the beach of Vanuatu that night? I'll let you decide. If that's what happened, then certainly it was not the first time it ever happened in history, and certainly it wouldn't be the last time. Let me call your attention this morning to the book of 2 Kings chapter 6 in your Old Testament where the Bible records almost an identical story to the one that I just gave you from the biography of the missionary John Patton. 
the prophet Elisha is prophet's preaching. And in his preaching, he's preaching against the king. That gets you in trouble always in history. The king, as a result, has decided, the king of Israel, has decided that he's going to dispatch an army to go and find the prophet Elisha and arrest him and bring him back to the palace as a prisoner. God doesn't want his prophet arrested. And so the story begins to unfold. Elisha is in a city. Gehazi, his disciple, is there with him. The story is about to be recorded in 2 Kings 6. The king has dispatched a very impressive military force. Not talking like three people. I'm talking like the army. The army of Israel came to surround a city because they knew the prophet Elisha was in that city. They came with shields and spears and swords and chariots and horses. An army of the ancient days surrounded the city which Elisha and his disciple are, are staying in. Let me read Second Kings 6 verse 15. And when the servant of the man of God, that's Elisha's disciple, rose early in the morning and he went out, Behold, he looked out over the city wall, and Elisha's disciple said, Holy smokes, we are surrounded. Paraphrased. Okay? Holy mackerel, we're in trouble. Okay? And Elisha says, What is it? And Gehazi, his disciple, said, There are horses, there are chariots. The king has sent the entire army and has surrounded the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master... See that exclamation point? Holy smokes, what shall we do? And he said, Elisha, the prophet, said, here's what we're going to do. Do not be afraid. If you just missed the rest of my sermon this morning, would you just write down somewhere this morning, your name, do not be, if Bobby Harrell, do not be afraid. And this whole series ought to be an encouragement to you. Do not be afraid be afraid that's what we're going to do you know what we're going to do in 2020 we're going to carry on making disciples and we're not going to be afraid not about war with iran not about the economy not about the election not not about evil in this world all of those things have been here for thousands of years and god's mission marches on and god's people move on from victory to victory as we pursue the kingdom of god and our walk with jesus christ do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them now the servant says we're surrounded by thousands of soldiers elisha says to his servant his disciple listen the people on our side are more than that now the servant's like you're nuts We don't have an army. It's just you and me. But Elisha had some pre-New Testament, some Old Testament understanding that God had an army. And that the army of God came, matter of fact, most of the Old Testament writers understood this. And that God would dispatch his army, especially in moments like this or like on Vanuatu, to surround his people. Verse 17. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. What did he see? 
And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Here's a city surrounded by a human army. Now they look out over the wall and the disciples' eyes are open to spiritual things. And now the physical army is surrounded by a spiritual army of flaming fire chariots and horses and and angels surrounding the other army. The point is the army that's with us is bigger than the army is with them. Now many of you may have or may in the days to come see the movie 1917. Has anybody seen it yet? Okay, it depicts trench warfare. Uh, from World War I, which was an especially difficult and bloody, they did war, you know, in the days past. It just, I just go insane watching old war movies, especially those colonial ones where everybody lines up and we just look at each other and just shoot each other and see if anybody runs out of bullets. I mean, I, you, you and I don't even get that at all. Why, why are you just standing there, dude? Run, hit the dirt. They just stood there and shot at each other. So World War I was... If you research a little bit of that, it was, the conditions were incredible. That's all I can say. Read a few books about World War I trench warfare, just inhumane, uh, the war horse movie. See a few of those depictions. It was horrific, horrific, bloody, brutal, incredible conditions. If you go to see the movie 1917 in the coming weeks or days, I want you to reflect on what I'm about to read for you this morning. The scene I'm about to describe was recorded by uh, Day, Gwen Day. He recorded the appearance of the white cavalry in his book, The Wonder of the Word. Let me read to you the story that Gwen Day recorded in his book. The battle happened in July of 1918 at the end of World War I. It's trench warfare. We're on the border of, of, of France, and uh, the war is about to be lost for the Allies to the Germans. The battle in question happened between the town of Flanders, Belgium, and Bethune, France. The British front lines are being massacred. They, they faced withering, uh, relentless pounding of artillery at, and machine gun fire, Uh, from the German army. The Germans know, everyone knows, the British know, everybody knows, the war is just about to be lost. It's almost over. All that's left is for the Germans to break through this line. They're going to stroll right into Paris, and this thing, France will have completely fallen. There was a British captain, his name is Hayward. He's a military intelligence officer who was on the scene. They dispatched him to go up to a little rise and look down into the battlefield to give a report back to headquarters uh, so they could figure out what to do. Do they have them retreat? Do we make our last stand? I mean, we're going to lose right here. What, what do we do next? As Captain Hayward was creeping toward the front line undercover, a British sergeant began to wave at him, trying to get his attention. He crawled over to where the British sergeant was. And when the captain linked with the sergeant, the sergeant gave a report. Said, Captain, uh, I need to give you a report about what's happening. Your military intelligence, you've got to report this to headquarters. Fritz have gone out of his mind, direct quote. They're shelling naked 
ground, direct quote. As they looked over the hill at the battle going on in the distance, Captain Hayward recorded that he saw the Germans had shifted their artillery away from the city and the Germans were shelling and machine gunning an open stretch of ground near the town of Bethune, France. In this open field, the Germans just began to just shell with artillery. After that, they raked it with machine gun fire until the guns were just burning red hot. Those who witnessed the event described Germans firing like lunatics upon nothing but plants and dirts, dirt as if they were being attacked from an empty field. It was incomprehensible to the British. There was not a single man standing in the field that they were concentrating their fire on. And then suddenly there was silence, and then they watched the veteran force of disciplined German troops drop their guns and run from the battlefield in terror. Immediately the British advanced, came out of their trenches, swept over the fields and began a sweep of the countryside to see if they could capture any of the retreating German troops, and they did. They not only claimed the ground, but they captured two German officers in particular who wrote their accounts. They were officers of the Prussian Guard, one of the most revered ranks of the Germans. They asked them, tell us what you were doing. Prussian officer, quote, we were advancing at the head of our troops, all of whom were in excellent spirits, singing as they went along, thinking the British were all but defeated. All that we have to do is go forward down without opposition. We will capture Paris. By my side was Lieutenant Fritz. Suddenly he seized a hold of my arm, saying, Look, Captain, there's a large body of mounted men approaching from the other direction, from Bethune. They are clad in white. They are mounted on white horses. What division of the British Army is this? I don't know, he replied. They may be British colonial mounted troops. We stood watching while the white cavalry advanced through the smoke, figures clearly outlined in the shining sun. We shifted all of our fire to that field. We saw the shells breaking into deadly fragments, bursting amidst the rank, crashes which shook the ground. We followed this with the most intensive machine gun fire which raked the soldiers to and fro, the horses, the men, it would be impossible for anyone to survive. But the white cavalry came quietly forward at a slow trot. Not one man fell, not one horse fell. They came resistless as the incoming tide. They advanced, and in front of them rode a leader, a figure of a man, by his side a great sword, not a cavalry sword but similar to a great sword used by the crusaders. And his hand lay quietly holding the reins of his white charger. The terror seized me. I found myself fleeing from the awe-inspiring cavalry, frightened and terrified. All around me were masses of men, formerly a well-trained army, now a terrified rabble, broken and afraid, fleeing from the battlefield. And more especially from that wonderful leader on the white charger. The Prussian officer said, quote, the German army is defeated. We have lost this war and it is due to the white cavalry. Now I don't know what you do with a story like that. 
Do you know what people believe about that story who are believers? They believe what we have always believed. That God had answered the prayers of his people and had supernaturally defended Great Britain. Now, before you dismiss it, I want you to know that the Bible writers all believed this way. Listen to the words of the psalmist. Psalm 34, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Is it possible that God heard the prayers of his people, and God dispatched a heavenly host, and God gave that German group of soldiers some supernatural ability to see the army that was there, to show them they were up against something they could not overcome. It matches with 2 Kings chapter 6 exactly. What I want to say to you this morning is the universe is occupied by these beings, though your human vision cannot see them. They mingle, they interact in earth and in the affairs of men all around us. Now, for those of you who are materialists and scientists, let me tell you what Einstein taught. Einstein taught that it was possible right now, in a different dimension, that cowboys and Indians are riding right through the middle of this auditorium. That's what Einstein taught. He said right now, in another dimension, you know, John Wayne and Cochise are fighting right here. But you can't see them and you can't perceive it because it exists in a different dimension than you live in. Now that's really hard to wrap your brain around, isn't it? But that's what Einstein taught, and that's what the scientific community has been trying to understand. We do know from the Scripture, from the Scripture, that this room is loaded with angels. They're all around us right now. Just because you see them doesn't mean they're not here. Your human eyes are not meant to be able to see into the spiritual dimension. When you leave this body and you enter into a supernatural, more supernatural body, you'll see them. You'll be different yourself somewhat, quite a lot actually. But right now you weren't meant to see them and in some ways you're probably thrilled after me reading those stories that you can't see them because you'd run around terrified all the time. You know what I'm saying? That being able to see what's going on, on around, listen, we'd be so distracted from doing what we need to do for Jesus Christ because we'd be constantly fixated on the warfare going on around us. Does that make sense? And God did something blessed for us when he provided this protection for us, but he closed our eyes to it and said, just trust me, you focus on advancing the kingdom of God, uh, 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 share the gospel, make disciples, you focus on doing what you do, I got the rest of this. Does that make sense? And so closing your eyes to that is probably one of the... Listen, some of you can't sleep at night already. Can you imagine laying in bed and watching the beans fly around in your room? Nobody would ever sleep. Does that make sense? So God did a a good thing for us. He said, I've got you, and I'm going to close your eyes to it, but you need to know that it exists. So I'll reveal in Scripture and through certain scenarios that it does exist. Now, these are not crackpots. Now, this is the poet John Milton. Literary genius, respected in all circles. 
John Milton said, Millions of spiritual creatures walk the earth unseen, both when we sleep and when we wake. Exactly what I just described. John Milton, the English poet, said, Right now there are millions of spiritual creatures moving around right here, but you just can't see them. It was only when the natural vision of Elisha's disciple was transformed for a moment into supernatural vision. And I don't even know really what vocabulary to use on you. I could say God pulled back the veil between the supernatural and the natural, the spiritual and the material, and he let him see into another dimension. Maybe that's the right way to say it. But somehow he could see what really was there, and it was there all along. It didn't just appear in that moment. There was always an army surrounding Elisha and Elisha's disciple. They just couldn't perceive it. Elijah knew in his being that God was there caring for them. But the disciple, who was a younger Christian, didn't have that perception until he actually saw it. In his book on angels, Billy Graham wrote this. I'm quoting now. I am convinced that these heavenly beings exist and that they provide unseen aid on our behalf. I do not believe in angels because someone has told me about a dramatic visitation from an angel, impressive as such rare testimonies may be. I do not believe in angels because I have ever seen one, because I haven't ever seen one. I believe in angels because the Bible says there are angels, and I believe the Bible to be the true Word of God. Now, that's Billy Graham's witness for you, and he certainly is aware of them now, having his eyes opened on the other side. But he's saying, I've never seen one, but I believe they exist because I believe the Bible to be the Word of God. And that's really what it's going to come down to for us this morning. I'm going to assume no one here has ever seen an angel. It would certainly be a rare, rare human event. The Bible mentions angels hundreds of times. This is not a passing thing in the Scripture. It's a very part of the Word of God. Paul told us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, For by Jesus, by Him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Whether they be thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. It's a wonderful verse. Paul says, God, Jesus created everything. Things you can see and things you can't, visible and invisible. Now, we know about the visible things, right? Dirt, plants, trees, oceans, people, dogs, cats, birds. We understand the material world because we can see it, we can touch it. We can perceive it through our senses. But what about the invisible things? Just because it's invisible, do we dismiss it as not real? This is the question. Because Paul said there are lots of invisible things that Christ made. And you need to know they're there and have confidence they're there. And he begins to talk about them in these terms for angels. Most theologians believe these are, uh, it's angelic Hierarchy. We'll talk more about it in the coming weeks. Thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. Ranks of angels in the heavenly host. An invisible army, if you would. Highly, highly organized. Invisible army all around you. 
Luke chapter 2. We just came out of the Christmas season, but let me refresh. If you were traveling, let me just refresh. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Now if you don't believe in angels, you have to get rid of the Christmas story altogether. Okay? An angel appeared to them, the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. Why? Because when you see an angel, you're going to freak out. It's fearful. They're terrifying. Listen to the eyewitness testimony. Fear not. I bring you good tidings, good news of great joy. That will be for all people. Front you is born this day in the city of David, Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You're going to find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was with the angel, and that angel, a multitude of the heavenly host. Praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, suddenly the eyes of the shepherds are open and they actually saw a multitude of the heavenly hosts. Now, here's a question. Is this all of the heavenly hosts? I don't think so. I think what they saw was a, mo- a part of the heavenly hosts. It may have just been the military choir, the band, you know what I'm saying, uh, that God rolled out for this event, for the birth of his son as a human in Bethlehem. Stay with me now. At Jesus' arrest in Gethsemane, everybody go to Gethsemane in your mind. He's going to be arrested tonight, crucified in the morning. He's praying. In Gethsemane, as he prayed, Matthew 26, 53, he says to them, do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and He will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? At once. 12 legions of angels. Now, a Roman legion is 5,000 soldiers, if you're doing math. Which begs us to ask, how many legions are there? Don't you know I could just whisper a prayer right now, and my Father would dispatch 12 legions of angels how many legions could there possibly be a bunch is the answer a multitude we'll talk about it in the coming weeks but here are the words of jesus i could bow my head right now and say father rescue me right now and sixty thousand crack soldiers from the heavenly host would burst into this garden and lay you guys deader than a doornail 60,000 angels could show up in a snap of your fingers. And 60,000 of God's angels could wipe out 11 billion human beings in a blink. How do you know? Well, again, I went to school and I did math. I know that one angel killed 185,000 human soldiers in one night. I'm going back to 2 Kings chapter 19. Watch it on the screen. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people rose early in the morning, the entire army was dead in the camp. You say, what happened? One angel came down at night and wiped out God's enemies. Now, if one angel wiped out 185,000 people in a night, do you understand what Jesus is saying? 
There's different divisions in the universe we'll talk about in the coming weeks, and you're not the highest one. And if I wanted to, I could pray in 12 legions of 60,000 angels could surround me in a blink. Matter of fact, they could be here right now. But they're being restrained from acting because it is my destiny to go to the cross to die for you. Just imagine the power of that. People are like, well, he's caught by surprise. He's the, you guys are crazy. He knows what his mission is from childhood. He knows what he's here to do. He's on mission. And he's saying, I could stop you in your tracks, but this, if my kingdom were of this earth, I'd fight for it. But it's not now. We're not going to fight now. I came to die. All I want to say to you is, when the natives on Vanuatu saw the angelic host, they knew the correct response was, run for your life. Okay? When the German soldiers saw them in Bethune, France, they knew the correct response was, run for your life. When the angels appear, they are fearsome, they are awesome, they are mighty, they are not human. Although you will see in the coming weeks, they can look human if they want to. But they are not humans, and they are powerful, and you will know it when you see them. Are they real? Well, let's take the words of Jesus for a minute. In Matthew 18, Jesus is talking about his children and how he loves his children and how he cares for his children. Here's what Jesus said, Matthew 18, 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now let me just exegete that as simply as I can to the best of my understanding Jesus is saying, do not mess with God's children because the angels assigned to them report to God constantly about their condition and their welfare and their assignment is to protect God's children. And if each of us this morning has an angel or a group of angels assigned to us, then there would have to be at least as many angels as there are people. How many people are on planet earth right now? Eight and a half billion, something like that, eight and a half billion people, you tell me how many angels there are. I don't know how many God has assigned to you or to me, and no disrespect to those who watch over me, but I hope it's more than one, because I'm prone to trouble, you know what I'm saying? And if God wanted to send a whole platoon to protect you and your family, wouldn't you be okay with that? Because when you go to work and your child goes to school and your kid goes to college and you're, you're, you understand how awesome is it for us to come to an understanding that not only has God filled us with the Holy Spirit and promised never to leave us alone, but he's encircled us with bodyguards, spiritual army surrounding his children. See that you do not mistreat them. Because their angels are constantly reporting to God. Matter of fact, it appears from that verse that there are some angels and this is their mission. To care for you and to minister to you. And they have to give account of their charge of overseeing you. Now some of you are making it really hard on your angels. By getting into fist fights and gun fights and drinking and driving and you know what I'm saying? And dipping and dodging and, and living shady existences. Listen, the next time you walk into a place you shouldn't be, feel 
the spiritual warfare going on around you and say, what in the world am I dragging my angels into right now? Am I dragging my bodyguards into a situation into which they are highly outnumbered? Is anybody tracking with me what I'm saying? You could get yourself... (laughs) We'll talk more in the coming weeks. (laughs) Hebrews 12. Let's put the issue to rest. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. Watch these words. And to innumerable angels in festal, celebratory, festive, praise and worship atmosphere, gathering. You've come into a praise and worship service occupied by an innumerable number of angels. Now, can anybody define what innumerable means for me? Too many to number, too many to count, exactly. So when the Bible writers, inspired by the Holy Spirit, are writing about what's going on around us or what we're going to see one day in heaven or what we could see if our eyes were open. They said, if your eyes could be open, you would understand there are billions. There are too many. We don't even, the Bible writers don't even appear to know the number. It's just an ocean of supernatural beings in this universe. Magnificent, mighty, powerful, performing the commands of God. They sweep down through the heavens faster than the speed of light, down through the universe, coming all the way down to the earth. They are organized into armies. Look at Hebrews 1. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. We'll talk more in the coming weeks, but sometimes angels appear as run-of-the-mill men. For you have entertained them unaware. Sometimes they appear as very unusual men. But whenever they appear, their presence produces amazing results. The natives of the jungle ran. The soldiers ran. The army of Israel ran. When Mary encountered Gabriel, she was terrified. He said, don't be scared. Fear, no, it's going to be okay. I just come to talk to you. Don't freak out. I've been, we move around. We're around you. Just don't freak out. When the angel appeared to Joseph, he was troubled. When the angel appeared to Zechariah, he was in turmoil. When the Roman troops guarding the tomb of Jesus Christ had their eyes open and the angels appeared at the garden tomb, the Bible says they fell down as dead men. They were just like, just passed out. These were seasoned soldiers who were used to facing soldiers. But these weren't soldiers they were facing. They were glowing, shining, giant, mighty warriors from a supernatural. And they just, boom, they just fell over as dead men. Now, I don't know. Let me wrap it up. I don't know the angels who were assigned to me. I don't know their number. I don't know their names. As you'll see in the coming weeks, we're not allowed to worship them. We're not to know their names, particularly. And I don't know who they are, and I don't know how many they are. But this morning, understanding that they are, causes me to want to thank God. And that's the right response. Causes me to want to thank God for the ministry that they have in my life, even though they are unknown to me.
and to you. Having a protective detail enables me to live with tremendous confidence. You ever watch the president or one of these big shots move around with an entourage of secret service or bodyguards and they just, they're not, we just move with shoulders back and just everybody, everything's taken care of. Everything's taken care of. Just live with confidence, speak with confidence, go where you need to go, do what you need to do. You say, well, what about the evil around? Don't worry about it. I got people who watch out for that. This is what I'm trying to instill in your mind. You're facing a new year. You know what it holds? Absolutely not. Should we sit down and write out all of our fears? No. You're surrounded by bodyguards. Square your shoulders. Figure out what Jesus wants you to do. And knowing that these angelic hosts are around you gives you confidence to live and operate without fear in the coming year. And we know from the scripture that God dispatches legions of angels, if needed, to care for you and your family and for me. Because God sees you and I living for Christ in this world as an extension of the life of Christ itself. Paul said, I live, nevertheless, not I, but Christ. When God sees me living on the mission of Christ, God says, Paul, you're an extension of the life of Christ. You are an extension of the life of Christ. If you're on mission, God sees you on mission as Christ on mission. You know how he cared for his son. He's caring for us in the exact same way. Uh, Let me wrap it right here. I'm sure, I'm just sure that there have been times in your life when God has sent his angels to strengthen you. And maybe you were completely oblivious to it. But I am certain, God's child, that he has sent his angels to minister to you, just as they have ministered for me. You say, Pastor, I've never seen them. No, you haven't. Because God didn't design your eyes to see them. But he wrote his word so you would know they're there. Why? So you would live with confidence and without fear, knowing that there is a detail assigned to you. In this series, what I want you to do is I want you to pray in these weeks, God, just open my understanding to the spiritual world around me. And God, in these weeks, just remind me that it's not all about what you can see and touch and feel, that there is something bigger than the material universe right here. In these weeks, I just want to assure you, knowing that you're protected by Almighty God. Now listen, don't tempt fate. If you come up on the roof this afternoon and jump off and say, God's angels are going to catch me, God's going to say, you're an idiot. Let him break his leg. You see what I'm saying? But knowing God's protective detail is surrounding you, I want you to live with confidence. I want you to be bold. When you read the New Testament, you see how these apostles are living? Be bold. How are they so bold? Don't they know that people are going to try to hurt them? Yeah, they know that. But watch the angel come unlock the prison and usher them out. Watch God's angels minister to them and strengthen them. I want you this week, don't worship the angels. We'll talk about it in the coming It's not allowed. But this week, I want you to worship God in a little different way. 
and say to God this morning and throughout the week as it comes to you, say, God, I'm just reminding myself right now that you've sent ministers to care for me that I can't see. And God, I want to give you worship because you're loving me and you're protecting me and you're caring for my family. And God, I want you to know, have you ever articulated to your creator how much it means to you to know that God is caring for you in this way? If you've never articulated a prayer like that, maybe this would be the moment for you. Some in these coming weeks, I know, of the new year are going to join our church throughout the different services. If that's you this morning, in just a moment when I pray, just go ahead and come and we'll meet you right here. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, when we dismiss this service in just a couple of minutes, there's going to be ministers at the back of the room who know how to pray with you and help you find Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you're struggling with something and you just really need somebody to pray with you, maybe fears of overtaking your life and you just can't seem to get them in check, let some people minister to you. Let some of this church family pray with you. There will be people here to help you this morning. Let's stand together. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads in prayer as you stand. And let's begin the closing of this service in this way. If you've never expressed your gratitude to God for assigning a heavenly host to minister to you, why don't you just do that right now? Just begin to articulate in your heart and mind that prayer to God and say, God, I just want to thank you for caring for my family, for caring for me, for watching my sons and daughters, for wrapping your arms around us and seeing to it that nothing, nothing can come into our lives unless you allow it to. We are surrounded by a heavenly host. God, I want to thank you for that exemplifies the care and maybe maybe at times you felt either through the moving of the Holy Spirit or maybe through some angelic ministry you felt you felt God is protecting me right now you felt emboldened you felt fearless you felt courage you ought to just thank God say God thank you for working supernaturally in my life. And I'm just acknowledging, God, that I'm more than a body, although I'm in a body. God, I am a spiritual being. And God, thank you for ministering to me in a spiritual way. If you don't know Christ, pray that you'll meet him this morning as your Lord and Savior at the end of this service. If you need to be a member of this church, you slip out of your seat, come and find our workers here at the front right now and let them know that you're ready for that next step. For the rest, let's pray together and we're going to close in a dismissal song in just a moment. Father, we bow before you this morning. God, just having our minds and hearts and imaginations reinvigorated, stimulated this morning from the Word of God as to the spiritual realm all around us. God, maybe we forgot that. God, maybe we grew cold to that and we just thought it's all about the material world. It's not just about the material world. God, you're caring for us in a supernatural way. We give you praise. We give you glory for caring for us in such a marvelous way. God, thank you for loving your children. Thank you for the protection. Thank you for the ministry of comfort and peace. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just fill everyone here this morning with your presence. Give us a bit of a fresh anointing from on high this morning. 
that they will, we will all remember who we are and what we are. God, help us to focus on your mission in this 2020 and not be distracted with what's going on around us. Lord, you've already told us there will be wars and rumors of wars and this, and they just stay focused on the mission. You've got us. We know that. We claim it. We claim it in Jesus' name this morning.